Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kivman. And today, ladies and gentlemen, is Chol Amoed Sukkis. Hope you had a festive, beautiful Yom Tov so far. And as we know, the holiday of Sukkis is the most jubilant, joyous, happy time. It's funny that uh, less people tend to come to shul on Sukkis than on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur were fasting, Sukkis were feasting. I know at us, thank God we had a, a decent turnout at shul, but uh, certainly nothing compared to what we had on Yom Kippur when there was no food. It just goes to show that people coming to shul on Yom Kippur perhaps have no ulterior motive other than to pray to connect to Hashem. So Sukkot itself, Zman Simchasena, was a festival of rejoicing, of celebrating, and there's lots to celebrate on this holiday, the holiday of Sukkot. Now we are holding Cholamayr, which is the intermediate section period of the days, of the Yom the last five days of Sukkot. It's the weekday part of the festival, and they're known as the intermediate days because certain forms of work that are forbidden in Yom are permissible on Chol Amoed. So today and tomorrow will obviously be regular weekdays, but then we have Shabbos of Chol Amoed. And uh, then we are going to, during this period, we still say the brachas on the lulav. We recite the Hoshanas in the morning. We still eat in the sukkah and make the, bl- the bracha for doing so. And on that note, ladies and gents, if anyone would like a visit from our sukkah mobile, just now we are heading back out onto the roads. I'm with my kids. We'll have music. We'll have some refreshments. And we are out there to bring the joy of sukkahs to you. So wherever you want the sukkah mobile to go, let us know. You could reach me directly. You can find me at on Facebook. If you know my number, you could call me directly or just call Chabad House 11440 to give you my number and you can reach out to me to have a personal meeting in the sukkah. We'd be delighted to have you in the sukkah with us. So let me know if you want the sukkah mobile to come to your place. Of course, we'll have to be quick because we have lots of requests for sukkah mobile visits throughout the day today. Now, our prayers during the days of Chalamayed are quite similar to the weekday prayers, but we have certain additions. During, we say, a regular weekday Amida, but we add the special prayer to commemorate Sukkot, Yalev Yavo. After the Amida, we recite Halel, like you would on Rosh Chodesh, except that it's the full Halel, and we hold the four species as we did on Yamta, we hold a little bit of Esrog. After Halel, we recite we, if you're at Shul, there's going to be Hoshanas, where we go, walk around the Bima, and we have the Torah reading, and then there is Musaf for Chalamayid. Otherwise, these are days to celebrate. We dress a little bit more celebratory. We celebrate with our families, try not to work, try to have more quality family time during this period of the intermediate days of Chalamayid. And... There is Simchas Beis HaShoeva each evening. We spend some time dancing, celebrating, singing. And uh, I think we talked about Chalama, about Simchas Beis HaShoeva, but just to give you a little bit of reminder, although we dis- did discuss it last week, Simchas Beis HaShoeva is one of the joyous elements of the festival of Asukas. One of the features of this holiday are the nightly celebrations, the dances and the singing that was in the times of the temple, literally, Simchas Beis means the joy of drawing the water. Because in the times of the temple, the Kohanim 
would pour daily wine libations onto the altar. And on Sukkot, they would also pour a water libation. Now the libation was poured shortly after sunrise, very early in the morning. But the occasion was so joyous that the celebrations would begin the evening before and they lasted throughout the night. So on Cholomite nights, the temple courtyard was lit up so brilliantly, the Talmud tells us that the entire city of Jerusalem was illuminated. And throughout the night, the sages and the, the leaders would dance in the temple courtyard and the people would clap and sing. It was a time of great joy and revelry. The Levites would play music while the prophets would share prophecies and deep secrets of the Torah. And then before sunrise, the Levites would sound the trumpets. The people would parade down the mountain to the Shiloh well. And throughout the night, they, they would just, everyone was there. They celebrated, they danced all night. And there they would draw the water early in the morning at the Shiloh well. And then they would parade back up to the temple. And on the steps leading to the sanctuary, the Levites would sound the trumpets and the people would prostrate themselves before God, similar to what you may have experienced in Shul of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur in a, in a minor way. And the Kohanim would then pour the libation and the people would finally disperse and go home. And of course, we don't have our temple today. So although we cannot pour the libations today, we still celebrate, and this is Simcha Space Eva. we would dance, and as a child growing up in New York, and even here in Johannesburg last night, I went to Torah Academy, cannot say the crowds competed with what we used to have in New York, thousands and thousands of people would gather in the streets, but still, this is the celebration of Simcha Space Eva, and this is precisely what we do today, we try to emulate, we try to replicate that which was done back in the days of the temple. And even if we're social distancing, and thank God the numbers are looking better, but still, if you're not going to dance at a communal event, dance in your home, dance in your sukkah, dance in your dining room, your patio, in your bedroom, wherever you are, just dance and celebrate. It's sukkahs have developed. So do what you can, sing, dance, celebrate. That's precisely what we have to do. That is what this festival is about. And one wonders, just a little thought, at first blush, you know, pouring the water over the altar doesn't seem to be such a profound reason for joy. But if you think about it in a deeper, more meaningful way, something that I explained last week, but I think it's worthwhile to repeat, is that the two libations, the water and the wine, they represent two different ways of serving God. Wine has a wonderful bouquet. We drink it for its flavor. We enjoy it. It's rich. It's sophisticated. Water has no flavor at all. But water is the elixir of life. And similarly, serving Hashem in a highly enjoyable and spiritually satisfying way, yes, whatever fulfillment we derive from our relationship with God, of course it's finite, it's limited. When we serve God purely because God wants us to serve Him, rather than because of the self-satisfaction, what am I gaining from this? Putting my sophistication aside that perhaps the wine represents, then we touch on the ultimate meaning of life, that it's not something that is about what I understand, my appreciation. You think about this, that the Nisuch HaMayim is a halacha lemaishim it's a tradition. 
And Hasidus explains that this is because the revelation in Torah, Shabbat in the written Torah, must be channeled through the finite medium of its precise letters of the Torah. The spiritual connection that we are able to, to forge with Hashem through this water libation, through the Nisach HaMayim, it transcends the limitations. It represents the idea of water, that my connection to Hashem is not based on my brilliance and my sophistication and what I understand. So this is, this is an idea, you know, that we activated our deepest bond with God in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. We entered our souls holy of holy, so to speak. But it was entirely, it was, it was something that was intensely private. It was an intimate moment. On Sukkot, we move our celebrations outside. We bring the depth of our soul and the pinnacle of our bond with God into the open. And so our sukkah, where's our sukkah? Outside. Our dancing, we're outside in the streets. We connect with God for reasons that transcend our personal satisfaction and gain. The idea of water, the benefit, the advantage of water over wine. And this revelation as represented by the Nisach by the water libation, I think that stimulates such profound joy that we can't sit still. We're moved to sing and dance just like our ancestors did, just like was performed in the times of the temple. And that is the significance of Simchas Vesesh Eva, precisely why we should take our joy into the streets. And that joy is infectious. When we are happy, we bring happiness to others. And when we bring happiness to others, we are even happier ourselves. So go ahead. Go dance, even if you don't have a big crowd. Just do it, celebrate, dance. And so, don't forget the other mitzvahs when we go around with our sukkah mobile today. If you haven't yet had a chance to perform the mitzvah of shaking the lul of an esrik, please call upon me and I'll make sure to bring the lul of an esrik to you so you can perform this mitzvah. And there are many reasonings behind this mitzvah, just to share a few with you. It's our way of proclaiming that we received a positive decree for a good year. As victorious armies march with their swords held high, so do we lift our lulav. We lift it up. We celebrate our victory in judgment because we are certain, we are confident that God has given us a, a good decree, a good verdict for a positive, great year ahead. And so Sukkot in, in Israel is during the in gathering of the harvest. This is the period of the year. So when we gather in a plentiful crop, we're in danger of, of growing boastful in joy. Look what I achieved. Look what I accomplished. So to ensure our gratitude and our humility toward God, we gather the four kinds, the four pleasing species that gladden the heart and hold them aloft. We hold them up in, in gratitude to Hashem. This is explained in the Sefer HaChinuch, Mitzvah 324, that Sukkah celebrates the wondrous gift that God gave our ancestors. When God took them from their uninhabitable wilderness, from the desert, and settled them in the land of Israel. So to celebrate this, we take the four of the most plentiful species of the land of Israel, which are pleasant and apparent and in fragrance. You could smell the hadasim. You could see the lulav comes from a date palm tree. The esrog has the most beautiful, pleasant aroma. And even the Aravas, which have no smell and no taste due to COVID virus, coronavirus. But nevertheless, 
We try to keep them fresh and green for these seven days. We hold them up, we hold them up in joy and gratitude to Hashem. And maybe perhaps that's another idea that comes to my mind. The truth is, you'll notice gradually each day, the lulav and esrik start to get less fresh. And also the lulav, the, the sukkah, you look at your schach, it's not looking as fresh as it did a few days ago. And maybe that symbolizes that life, you know, the frailty of life, that we, that we, we lose our allure sometimes. We get older, we perhaps get our wrinkles. We're not as young as we used to be. But nevertheless, Hashem cherishes this mitzvah. And perhaps it also is a reminder to us to cherish every moment of life. Carpe diem. Seize the moment. Serve God with joy. Remember yesterday's history and tomorrow's a mystery. But today is a gift of God. That's why it's called a present. So this is a reminder to us. The four species teach us to serve God with our complete being. The esrig represents the heart. The lulav represents the spine. The myrtle leaves, they represent the eyes, you look at their shape. And the willow leaves, they represent the lips. And the message is that a mitzvah is only complete when it's fulfilled with every aspect of our being. We have to serve God with, with, we have to be animated with our full vitality. That's the purpose. Of course, it also carries a message of Jewish unity as the esrig has a delicious taste and a pleasing aroma. And that represents somebody who studies Torah and does mitzvahs. And it has, and has all those elements, of course, the lulav, which comes from a date palm tree and has the taste, but there's no aroma. And that represents somebody who studies Torah, but lacks in their good deeds. And the myrtle, the hadas, it has a very fine aroma. I hope you got a chance to smell it, but there's no taste. And that represents somebody who does good, but doesn't study Torah. And then, of course, the arava, no taste, no smell. But yet still, by God instructing us to bundle them all together, God is telling us, that when we come together, that's when God is elevated. That we have to all be bound together. The mitzvah cannot be complete, even if one of us is lacking. Regardless whether you have the most beautiful esrug, regardless whether, even if it's just your willow, the simple one that's missing. Still, the mitzvah is only fulfilled when we're all involved, when we're all part of it, when we're all together. That is the only time you could actually do this mitzvah. If you only have three of the four kinds, sorry, the mitzvah's not done. And no matter how much you sell, have three of them, and no matter what you do, no matter where you wave them, you still have not fulfilled that mitzvah. So Chalamite otherwise, for the most part, it's a weekday, it's a hybrid of, of weekday and Yom Tov. Celebrate, it's, it's a period, it's a time to, to uh, enjoy good quality family time. And uh, celebrate during this period. And uh, we're heading into the next point, the next period of Yom Tiv. Because on Monday, Sunday night Monday, is a festival on its own. It's still part of Cholamayad. This is called Haishana Rabbah. You know the joke, who stole the Aravas? The Haishana Rabbah. Judaism teaches that the final judgment related to rainfall during the coming year is made on this day on Haishana Rabbah. And for this reason, there are several traditions that are associated specifically with the day of Haishana Rabbah. Firstly, before Haishana Rabbah, on Sunday at some point, make sure to collect or to buy five willow branches for each member of your household. Yep, in my household at this stage, we need 45 willow branches for our family, and we bind them together. Okay, you have to make sure that it's uh, that it's willows, 
So just make sure you get the right willows that you collected. Now what you're going to do is, um, the, that is a part of the davening where we're going to clap shyness, it's called. Um, if possible, strip a branch off of your lulav and in turn strip that branch into a narrower strip and use these narrow strips to bind the five willow sets into one single bundle. Okay, one single bunch. So the five willows are going to become one bunch of willows. So you take off that that little strip from your lulav in order to bind them together. Many people have a custom on Sunday evening, on the night of Hashanah Rabbah, to, to study, to read the entire book of Devarim, of Deuteronomy, and also to recite the entire book of Tehillim, of Psalms, after nightfall on the evening of Hashanah Rabbah. Um, the book of Devarim you could do anytime, but the, the Tehillim has to be done after midnight for mystical reasons. And before, that's, that's done all night. Uh, the custom, for some reason, we conclude the night with apples and honey eaten in the sukkah. Of course, to, to symbolize that we want a good, sweet year, we're ending off the festive season again with that sweetness. And just to remember again, honey specifically, not sugar or cinnamon or maple syrup or some other sweetness, not even candies, because honey comes from the bee and the bee stings. This is my own pshetel. I've heard it from others as well. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. Hi FM, I'm Rabbi Ari Kiefman. We're in the middle of talking about Hoi Shana Rava and the celebrations related to it. So where were we holding? We talked about the evening of Hashanah Rabbah, that you need to, that we say the entire book of Devarim, and we are going to read the entire book of Tehillim, and we end the night with an apple and honey, the honey coming from a bee, the bee stings, and we want the sweetness, we want to transform the stings of the year into sweetness. But another nice reason is, I think, honey coming from a bee. Bees are always attracted to sweetness. Whereas flies, you notice it's spring season now. In spring season, we have lots of bees. You go into the park, you see the bees are hanging around the flowers. The bees are hanging around the sweet, pleasant food. The flies, they're hanging around the dung. Let's be like the bees. Let's look for the sweetness in life, not for the dung, for the problems. So that's just a little thought. So it's going to be a late night, Tashana Rabbah. And of course, the next nights are also going to be late and jubilant nights. But let's start with the morning. Monday morning, Hashanah Rabbah. The morning starts off regular. But before chanting Halal on this day, we remove the rings that are directly around the lulav, the top two rings. We take those off. After Halal, we are going to recite Hashanah as we're doing every day of Sukkot. But on this day, it's done a little bit differently. In the six first days of Yom Tov, we read only one paragraph per day. And then we go around the bima when we get to the letter of Samach of that particular part of the Hashana, as we discussed earlier, the significance of Hashanas, which was something that reminds us in the times of the temple that they used to walk, they used to circle around the bima, not the bima, the mizbeach, the altar on Sukkis. So we do the same by circling around our bima. Today. So that's, that's the way we commemorate, that's sort of a commemoration of those days. But on the last day of 
Sukkot, on the last day of Cholamayit, because we're not going to any longer do this on um, on the next days. We, you know, so we remember this tradition, the uh, uh, that enhances the joy of Sukkot. In, in the temple, the Jews would lean their tall willow branches against the mizbech, against the altar, and they paraded around the altar each day of Sukkot. So we are replicating that. But after the temple was destroyed, this is the, what we could do. We go around the bima. So on Hashanah Rabbah, we are doing it a lot more so than we did it in the previous days of Yom Tiv. We have we have seven paragraphs, um, and each time we go around, and as we read each paragraph, we parade around the bima. If you're at home, then do it around the table. Find a table in your house to do it around. Okay, after the seventh paragraph, the concluding Hashanah's prayers, which beseech God for a year of plenty and a year of rainfall, and then we recite recite as many of those as you can. When you finish, we take that bundle of willows and we strike them on the floor five times. And it's mentioned that five, the level of bitul, is greater in the arava, why specifically in the, with the willow? Why not with, with the myrtles? Because the arava, because it's, you know, especially when it's taken alone without the other three. And this is indicated by the fact that the unity of the other three kinds is expressed within each branch separately. For example, in, in, in the style of the growth, you look at the lulav, the lulav has a whole bunch of, um, what do we call these strips that are together? The esrug grows through all seasons of the year. The myrtle grows and has these little leaves of, you know, uh, three leaves together. Whereas the arava, the arava is, you are binding them together. And this underlies the power of Ashanarabah, a day of extreme, what we call bitl. It's a day that we, that we, that we nullify ourselves before God. It's a time of intense bonding with Hashem. And because we have this period of bonding with Hashem, we bind them together, and there's this concept that once we, that, that why are we whacking them on the ground? That there are five mystical dimensions of divine stricture, of, of discipline, of gevurot. And so when we whack our five aravot, on the ground, we're sort of, any question? What's, when we, when we, uh, hit the ground with these five aravas, we are sort of, um, beating the, the, the five levels of divine stricture. Those five, and we want to transform them. Remember, we're taking the B the sting of the bee, we're transforming it to sweetness, to happiness. So we're transforming these levels of, of gevurot, of God's discipline, of God's stricture, into five dimensions of divine kindness. So when we strike the floor five times with our others, we activate the five dimensions of kindness so that we could sweeten our final judgment for the year. What are the thoughts um, that's, that's sort of the, that's sort of the final act of Ashana Rabbah. It's Arav Yamtiv after all. So you have to get ready and prepare for Yamtiv in all ways possible. It's a very important, it's the conclusion of our Yamtiv season. 
So with those Hashanah, somebody's asking what to do. It's customary you store those willows and the lulav in a safe place until Pesach. So a lot of people put them onto the, uh, you'll notice a lot of shuls that's on top of the Aron HaKodesh, on top of the Ark. Because they were used for a mitzvah, it's best to use them for another mitzvah. So when we make a fire to burn the chametz before Pesach, we use the lulav and the aravas as fuel for that fire. This is actually mentioned um, in various places in Jewish law. Of course, we should not deliberately demean or place um, sacred items in garbage. So if you can't put them aside there, then, uh, you know, perhaps there's other ways of, of letting them go without demeaning their, without demeaning their purpose. Okay, any other questions on Aishana Rabbah? Of course, I forgot to tell you, it's important, it's customary to enjoy a special meal in the sukkah on this day because it's, it's like a, an elevated type of yamtav. And although we enjoy a somewhat festive meal each day of Chalamayat, every day we should enjoy, there's a custom to drink some extra wine on Chalamayat, but this meal should be a little bit more festive in gratitude to God for a year of abundance and goodness. And of course, this is a joyous festival. It's Sukkot after all, so even though it's Chalamayat now, but joyful occasions should be celebrated with family and with friends. The more joyous the occasion, the more people could be part of it. And if you could do so in a safe way, certainly you should invite friends and family around. And that's a reminder again, if anybody wants the Sukkot to come visit them and make a bracha on the Sukkot we'd be delighted for you to join us in the Sukkot so you could have a bracha, some refreshments, shake the little of an esrik. Now, you, you can't imagine any simcha. You know, imagine a family wedding without... Uh, w- w- without family, without friends. It just doesn't work. So I know it is COVID virus still, and it is harder for us to celebrate in this way without friends and family around. But if there's a way to do so, then do so in the safest way you can. You know, Judaism teaches that challenges are opportunities. And before God presents us with any challenge, God fortifies us with the ability that we can overcome it. So this year, even more so than ever, we have to know God is with us. We have to rejoice. We have to celebrate. Even if we're not in the company of others for safety purposes and reasons, remember we're still in God's company. And of course, God will suffuse our hearts with gladness and our souls with joy. And if we believe this fervently, and if we visualize God at our sides, then we will be able to meet this challenge with courage, and enjoy a happy and joyous and, and joyous sukkahs. So that's what we have to do. That's the call of the hour. The main thing is to celebrate. And yes, indeed, from the joy of sukkahs through some, through the Chalamayat, and all the way through to Aishana Rabbah, as the festival of the holiday of sukkahs draws to a close, after seven days of celebration, it doesn't end just like that. The festival will only conclude with a... Oops, sorry guys. Just a minute, ladies and gents, apologies. Okay, the festival concludes on a high note with Shmini Atzeres and Simchas Torah. So, let's take some time now to talk about those concluding festivals. Shmini Atzeres could literally be translated as Shmini is the eighth, and Atzeret is a restriction. So restriction on the eighth day. 
And the simple meaning is that on the eighth day, we are restricted from working, as you may have noticed in the Torah portion we were reading the last few days. But on a deeper perspective, in the temple, during the seven days of Sukkot, we brought a total of 70 bullocks, 70 bull offerings, to pray for the 70 root nations of the world. And the Gemara and Masachat Sukkot explains this, there are more than 70 nations of the world, but since all descend from the children of Noah, and the Torah enumerates 70 nations established by Noah's descendants, so we consider them to be the root nations of the world. These 70 nations are the root nations of the world. And the Jewish nation stands, we sort of stand alone, a little bit different than the rest of the world. IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Come back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiebman, and we are in the middle of talking about the final days of the festival, the festival of, Suk- of Shemini Atzeret and Simchas Torah. And we were talking about the 70 root nations of the world. And the Gemara tells us that we stand apart. The Jewish nation stands alone because although we too descend from Noah, but our nation's not included in that we we are different. We we certainly are different in our unique way as the Jewish nation. And we certainly have our our uniqueness and our unique mission in the world. When we say, we talk about God choosing us amongst the nations. We are chosen for the purpose of following the Torah, of doing the mitzvahs. Each nation, is each person has their distinct mission and purpose and indispensable to God's plan in this world. But certainly as the Jewish people, we have to remember what is our purpose in the world. So on Shemini Atzeres, there was only one offering that was brought to represent the Jewish nation. Remember, there were 70 offerings brought during the previous days. On the first day of Sukkot, there were 13. On the second day, there were 12. We're holding at 25. On the third day, 11. What are we holding at now? 36. On the fourth day, there were 10. 46. On the fifth day, there were 9. 54. On the sixth day, there were eight. What are we holding at now? 62. And on the, is it 62? 63, sorry. And on the seventh day, there were seven, total of 70. But on Shemini Atzeres, there was only one that was brought. And this is, so to say, this Shemini Atzeres celebrates the unique relationship between us and God. And as much as we have to be there for the world, charity begins at home, but it doesn't end. It doesn't end at home. So we, we offered every day of circus for all the nations. But we also have to focus on our own relationship with God. And in fact, if you look in the Chumash, it's actually in the book of Bamidbar, chapter 29, verse, 30, verse 36. So the Torah tells us here, this is in the portion of Pinchas, which we read during this period. So what does Rashi say? That on this day we offer our own unique sacrifice to God. So Rashi tells us here that this is like children taking leave of their father. And the father says, Kosha alai pridaschem. The father says that it's difficult for me to part with you. For my sake, postpone your departure. Remain with me for another day. I'd like to spend just a little bit more time with you. For seven days, every nation in the world was represented in our celebrations. Interestingly, the United Nations usually has their general assembly during Sukkot. And indeed, all the nations of the world gathered together during this time when we're bringing the 70 bulls to represent all the nations of the world. 
But at the end of Sukkot, when the party's about to end and we're about to go home, God asks us to remain one more day, enjoy an intimate party, a one-on-one celebration with God. It's called Shmini Atzeres, restriction on the eighth. Because after seven days, God asks us to restrict our movement, remain in place for one more day. And Sarashi bases this on the Gemara in Masechet Sukkah, where it says that, you know, it uses the metaphor of a king and his friend. And Rashi, Rashi uses the metaphor of a father and son, but I think it's, both metaphors are mentioned. In fact, the Medrash says that uh, the Jews say to Hashem, we prayed for the nations for seven days. At the least, they should love us, and yet they hate us. The irony, United Nations, what are they united on? Condemning Israel. Hashem says, therefore we designate the special day to pray for your protection. This day will be just for us, you and me. So Rashi uses this metaphor of this unique bond that we have with Hashem. And this final day of the celebration that is between us and God. You want to just take it a little bit deeper. For seven days of Sukkot, we, we, we reveled in the revelation of the deep bond that we forged with God in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Shmini Atzeres is a day to absorb and to internalize this depth so that we can become integrated with it and suffused by it permanently. And so Atzeres means to restrict that unbridled, that, that, that flow of revelation by absorbing and internalizing it. it. It should be something that penetrates, that permeates us. So Shmini, the eighth, represents transcendence. And as much as seven represents the cycle of creation, the cycle of life, eight transcends creation, represents the creator. So Shmini Atzeres means absorbing the transcendent, as high, as great as we get, pulling it in, making it real. And although it's called Shmini, the eighth, it isn't the eighth day of Sukkot. It's really an independent festival. Because as I explained before, Sukkot is about praying for the entire world. But Shmini Atzeres is narrowly focused on the Jewish people. It's an inward-based festival. It's a time to internalize. And you know, I think there are multiple distinctions between Sukkot and Shmini Atzeres that I want to share with you. The Gemara gives us uh, six differences. I'm not going to go through all of them um, because some of them only apply in Israel. But I'll I'll share with you a few of the differences that the Gemara tells us between Shmini Atzeret versus Sukkot. On Shmini Atzeret, there's no longer a mitzvah to eat in the Sukkah. Although in Chabad tradition, we do still eat in the Sukkah on Shmini Atzeret, but we don't say the bracha of Leishe Basukkah. And there are multiple reasons for this custom. I won't go into them today, time permitting. Um, it has a different name than Sukkot. Right? In both the Kiddush, we say, as well as in the Amida liturgy. So the festival Shmini Atzeres is the name, not, not Sukkot. We recite the Shechianu Bracha because it's a new holiday, and it generates its own joy. On Sukkot, we say Shechianu every day because there were different numbers of Korbanas each day, not because each day is an independent Yom Tov. On Shmini Atzeres, we recite Shechianu because it's an independent yamtiv of its own. So that's just a few ideas from the Gemara. In Israel, of course, Shmini Atzeres is celebrated for one day, but those of us here outside of Israel and diaspora, as all festivals, we get a second day. So the first day is called Shmini Atzeres, and the second day 
is called Simchas Torah, which we'll get to in a moment. But the reason we tack on an extra day, which I've explained in the past, but it's worthwhile, of course, to explain again. It takes us back to the times when the Jewish calendar was arranged monthly by the Sanhedrin, by the high Jewish court. Now by Torah law, a new month is declared by the Sanhedrin after two witnesses testify that they observed the new moon on the previous night. And if witnesses did not appear and the Sanhedrin did not declare a new month, then the previous month would automatically extend 30 days because the lunar cycle is either 29 or 30 days. And the new month would begin the following day. Knowing when the new month began was, was, was really critical because it dictated the timing of the festivals. When Pesach and Sukkot was going to be. Is it going to be on the 15th of the previous month or the next day? So the Sanhedrin would... The Sanhedrin would dispatch runners to all the Jewish communities to inform them when the month began. And they would light the fires so people knew. But many Jewish communities, especially in the time of the Second Temple, were well beyond a 10-day journey from Israel. So if you think about it, the runners left on the first day after the new month was declared. And they had to arrive before the sun set on the 14th because that's the day that the Torah declares when the festival of Sukkot and when the festival of Pesach would begin. So... This cut two half days from their arrival time. Besides the point, you can't travel on Shabbos, right? So the Nissan runners could only travel for 12 days. The Tishrei runners had 10 days to travel because they couldn't travel on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. And some communities knew when Pesach would begin, but they didn't know when Sukkot would begin. So our sages came up with a good plan. To avoid confusion... Chazal, our sages of blessed memory, decided that all communities beyond the runners Tishrei reach, the 10 days, they should celebrate what they called Yamta Shemi Shalgalius, that is the diaspora days of the festival. And that's why all communities that are located beyond a 10-day journey from Israel celebrate two days. And perhaps why Eilat, which although it's not part of biblical Israel, was within that journey period, still only celebrates one day of the festival, but people who live far beyond, I don't think you could reach, you could walk from Israel to Johannesburg in less than 10 days. So here we do two days of celebrating the festivals. And that's the way it goes. The day that would have been the 15th if the previous month were 29 days, and the day that would have been the 15th if the previous month was 30 days. Because you're not certain, you don't know for sure. Today, we have a calendar, obviously, that was formulated by Hillel. And we follow, the dates are determined, the months are determined according to the calendar. We know in advance when a festival is going to begin. And the Sanhedrin, which was established, um, the, the, Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin was abolished in the 5th century. You know, I gave a whole share about that a while ago. The Roman Empire adopted Catholicism around that time. And some speculate that this might have been the catalyst that made it too difficult for the Sanhedrin to convene on a regular basis to organize the Jewish calendar. So pretty much from around the 5th century was this calendar. One of the very last acts that was of, that the Sanhedrin achieved was to establish a perpetual calendar that we could consecrate all the new Jewish months going forward. And so our months today are pre-consecrated. That they consecrated it 
2,000 years, 1,500 years ago. And uh, this is just, you know, we have our calendar today. So Rambam writes that Rosh Chodesh is determined in each generation by the sages in Israel. But nevertheless, we have our calendar and it is pre, the, the dates are already determined or pre-sanctified. We do say Kiddush HaChodesh today, which sanctifies the month. But basically, outside of Israel, we add an additional date to our holiday to respect the traditions of our forebearers. And that's the way it goes. We're going to have two days of Yom Tiv outside of Israel. Of course, every aspect of Torah can be explained on a literal level, as I just did, or not just rationally. We could go a little bit more spiritual, mystical, deeper. And the additional day of Yom Tiv outside of Israel could be explained from a spiritual perspective. Every holiday offers a unique form of spiritual nourishment to the soul. On Pesach, it's that aspect of freedom, our exodus from Egypt, our liberation from slavery, to transcend our limitations. On Shavuos, it's the ability that we're able to delve more deeply into the Torah that God gave us on that day. So each year Shavuos, we get a, a deeper appreciation and understanding of Torah. On Sukkot, it's the ability to deepen our relationship with God through joy. Israel is the Holy Land. When a Jew is in Israel, the soul opens to holiness like a flower to the sun. It's really beautiful that Kazari explains this concept. So in that sense, Israel is the Holy Land. So the soul could be nourished more quickly in the Holy Land. Outside of Israel, soul is less vibrant. You know, it says about Eretz Yisrael, Avira Eretz Yisrael Machim, just the environment, the ear of Israel already gives us our nourishment, our, our vibrancy. But outside of Israel, it takes a little longer to channel that spiritual nourishment into the soul. And this is perhaps the spiritual reason for extending the Yom Tev by one day outside of Israel so we could have a little bit more time to experience the depth of the festival. You can take it even a little deeper if you want. The reason we just, this is based on, on, on the diaspora being less holy than Israel. But Judaism teaches every challenge as an opportunity, of course, right? Every single challenge we face, we have to see the opportunity within it. Living in the more mundane and less holy atmosphere of the diaspora, it offers us the opportunity to inject holiness into the mundane, to transform the mundane into something holy. And this is not something that's available to those in Israel because Israel's already holy. So we have a certain advantage over Israel here in Africa. And you think about it, the additional day of Yom Tov, a day that was meant to be an ordinary weekday. And in Israel, it is just that. And yet here, we could transform it into a holy and joyous day. And this transformational element that it, it casts the additional day into a, a positive light. Think about it that way. Rather than viewing Jews and diaspora as unfortunate, as less because of our inability to process the holiday quickly, maybe we could see this as, as an advantage, as a benefit, that we see that we're fortunate for the opportunity that in Israel they don't get, where we could transform the mundane, the, the, the profane, into holy, into sacred. This is something we get to do only here outside of Israel. So enjoy Shmini Atzeres as the additional day of the festival. Uh, sorry, as the day, same day 
as of the festival, just as in Israel. But we have an additional day called Simchas Torah. It literally means the joy of the Torah. Because on this day, which will be this coming Tuesday night, Wednesday, we it's a day that we read the last portion of the Torah. In Israel, this is actually going to be done on Shemini Atzeres. But outside of Israel, it's done on Wednesday on Simchas Torah. Of course, every Shabbos at Shul, we read a portion of the Torah, as we do a little portion of it every Monday and Thursday. We time it so that the entire Torah is completed in a year. We begin on the Shabbos that follows Simchas Torah, Shabbos Bereshis, and we end on the following Simchas Torah. So the timing of our cycle is actually quite interesting. It would make sense to begin the cycle at the beginning of the year. Shouldn't we start on Rosh Hashanah? Now, if that's not possible because we're busy with Rosh Hashanah, then why don't we begin maybe Shavuos, when we celebrate God giving us the Torah? Why do we begin the cycle of reading the Torah right after this festival? So I just want to share with you that the answer is that the tablets upon which God had trans- God inscribed the Ten Commandments after Shavuos, those tablets did not survive. The first set of, the first tablets Misha smashed them, he shattered them into the ground when he saw the Jews betray God with the golden calf. Forty days after God gave us the Torah, Misha came down the mountain, carried the two tablets, and when he saw what we were doing, what our ancestors were doing, he hurled them to the ground, he shattered them, he broke them, to shmetah to pieces. Now we know that on Yom Kippur, God forgave the Jewish people for that sin. Right? That was the first... Day of Atonement, the 10th of Tishrei, which is why we designate that day, Yom Kippur, as a day of atonement ever since. So on this day, in fact, we don't designate it. God designated this day as a day of atonement. On this day, God gave Moshe the second set of tablets that was replacing the tablets that Moshe had shattered. And these tablets remained to the Jewish people. They remained all the way through until the temple was destroyed. And at that point, they were hidden by this, by the prophets of the time. And since these tablets were the ones that endured, and according to our sages, they still exist until this very day. So we begin our cycle of Torah reading as close as we can to Yom Kippur rather than Shavuos or the beginning of the year Rosh Hashanah. But if you want to take it a little, di- a little bit deeper. Though the first set of tablets was a wonderful gift, it was later rejected by those who worshipped the golden calf. The second set of tablets was more precious because they absorbed it. When they received the first set, they were new to the Torah and their loyalty was untested. They had no idea how enduring their loyalty actually was. In fact, 40 days later, when they experienced the very first test of loyalty, they failed. They betrayed God. They worshipped the golden calf. It was only after they repented for the sin of the golden calf and their sin was forgiven 